Lord, we are desperate for a touch from heaven. We're desperate to be in your presence. We're desperate to receive your touch, to hear your voice, to see your face. As we come now, we ask you to open the word to us. Speak through it to us. Open our hearts to recognize your presence. And open our minds to understand the scriptures. May your scriptures written so long ago come alive yet again right here for this moment. Touch us, bless us, change us. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. We sometimes invite you to stand. That's appropriate. And uh, we'll invite you, if you'd like, to stay seated. If you remember the story of Ezra in the Old Testament, that uh, Ezra, when he read the scriptures, when they had rediscovered God's word that had been lost for many, many years, and they had the public reading of God's word, the people stood for hours on end. And that's a healthy thing to do. Our bodies need to respond to God's word one way or the other. Uh, but we can hear the word that God wants to implant in us right now. We're in 40 days of prayer. We're three weeks into it. And our focal point today is a passage in Revelation 1 where John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a voice. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. Then he placed his hand on me. Revelation 1 is a story that comes to us, as many stories in Scripture are available to us, to speak to us uh, about a season of exile, a season when we're not fully at home. And throughout the pages of Scripture, from the beginning all the way through to the end, the first book of Scripture, uh, the book of uh, Genesis, but the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, we read about Adam and Eve who are banished from the garden and they leave that idyllic home that God had blessed them with. And yet, even then, they're not away from his presence, from his voice, from his heart. Their son Cain, God speaks to him before he commits a sin that will forever alter his family, his brother's life, and uh, his own personal enjoyment and experience of life and he ends up being exiled from family connection and is desperate for that sense of loss uh, of outside of God's presence outside of his family we have Abraham who's told to leave his home and leaves an area somewhere in Babylon modern-day Iraq to go down to modern-day Palestine and Israel we have Joseph who's exiled to another country by his own brother, sold into slavery, into uh, those who would uh, take him to another country where he falls into disfavor and ends up in prison. And over and over and over in the story of, of Joseph, the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph. See, the Bible speaks to us about our contemporaneous struggles or challenges or lives. 
Moses is exiled from Egypt and the favor that he's in as the son of the Pharaoh and Pharaoh's palace itself, he ends up in the backside of the desert but encounters God in exile. Elijah goes into the wilderness for 40 days and yet God shows up to meet with him there. The whole nation of Israel goes into Egypt and after 430 years they're very deeply aware they're not at home any longer but God has been with them and he soon guides them through the exodus and the blood of an innocent lamb out of Egypt on their way to a new home but then they spend 40 years for a eight or nine day walk. They spend 40 years learning, growing, being taught by God to depend on him completely that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the heart and the mouth of God himself. We've got the exile then later after Israel has come into the land, and you see the prophets that speak of it. You see the prophet Jeremiah about 600 years before the coming of Jesus. You see uh, Ezekiel, you see Daniel, and their comments about how to live while in exile. Well, we're not fully at home. We have the story of Jesus he has exile after exile. He, he leaves heaven to come to earth, the incarnation. He goes to trial as the creator of all things, as the, as the way, the truth, the life. He goes on trial himself. The ultimate exile, he's on the cross and then in the grave. Not at home, but God was with him. The early church, we see the leaders in jail. We see leaders who are executed. We see later Paul in jail, Paul in prison. And we see John and Patmos. And we want to fast forward this morning all the way to Patmos. That little, rocky, craggy, abandoned, isolated, windswept island off the coast of Turkey. It's a Grecian island. It belongs to Greece. And today it's a wonderful place for tourists to visit. It's said to be a very romantic place to visit. I'm going to show you some pictures in a little bit. See if you feel like it looks all that romantic. And we've got to imagine John's particular situation as we do this. So Revelation 1, we'll read it and then we'll draw some application from God's word written so many years ago to our hearts, lives, circumstances, and situations right now. Revelation 1, verse 1, the very title of the book itself, the, uh, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Two thoughts. You often hear people talk about the book of Revelations. There isn't a book of Revelations. There's a book of the Revelation, the Revelation. And it's not just a vision of the future. It's the, re the Revelation, the opening up, the making himself known to us of Jesus, God's anointed son. It's all about Jesus. And so people who look to this as just a template for the future are missing the central message of the book of Revelation. Apocalypsis, Jesu Christu in Greek, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, that's us, that's you and I, what must soon take place. And God made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Some people disagree whether this is the same John, the beloved disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, or the three letters of John. I think it is the same person. I think there's no uh, 
concluding conclusive evidence that would say it's not, <clears throat> he sends his angel, his messenger, to his servant John, and he testifies to everything he saw. He's alone, he's in exile, and yet there are things that he saw, and that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then kind of a message to all of us, even today. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So feel free to read right along with me as we're reading this text. Reads aloud the words of his prophecy. And secondly, blessed are those who hear it. Ask God to open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our spirit to the message that's about to come to it come to our ears and third take to heart those who take to heart what is written in it they are blessed because the time is near John now he formally begins his letter uh, in the, these uh, New Testament times uh, Greco-Roman culture people uh, often uh, begin with their identity as opposed to we would say sincerely Pastor Doug uh, John starts with his identity, uh, John, and I'm writing to who, to whom this is addressed, the seven churches in the province of Asia. Asia isn't Asia as we think of it, it is Asia in the ancient world, which is understood as uh, the modern day country of Turkey, and there's seven churches in kind of a tight grouping. We believe that John probably lived for uh, much of his life in the city of Ephesus, which is one of these seven churches and this is so who the letter is from it's who it's to and we can learn from these letter this letter from these seven churches in our own church in our own gathering together as a family and he sends them a gift he says grace and peace not just as abstractions grace and peace to you and who do these gifts come from to those of us in exile those of us who not in our comfort zone they go it comes to us from him who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God, our Abba, Father, grace and peace to you from him. Secondly, and grace and peace to you from the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit. We can look back to Isaiah to learn about the sevenfold spirit. We won't look at there today, but I just wanted to reference that. The seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit that is before his throne. The Father sends us grace and peace. The Holy Spirit sends us grace and, and peace. And number three, and from Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus on whom the Spirit rested as he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And who is he? He's the faithful witness. You can trust what he says. He's the firstborn from the dead. You can trust him with your life. He knows the way through it. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's to you. John can't go on without saying a word to him, to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And incidentally, as I say this, I think of a mentor many, many years ago, uh, James Houston, he's in his 90s now. I was able to uh, spend a little bit of time with him at Regent College a couple of years back. Uh, and it was wonderful to see him again. I had seen him 
uh, and met with them and taken a course with them uh, over 40 years ago, which is odd since I'm such a young person. Uh, but he used to say and encourage me, and I, be, I adapted this, and you'll recognize this when you hear it, that we should always pray. When we pray, we're in 40 days of prayer. So here's a way to think about our prayers. Who do we pray to? We pray to the Father. We pray in the name of Jesus, aligned with his character, using his name as our authority as his representatives. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So since that time, I've tried to kind of consciously pray to the Father. I've prayed in the, in the name of Jesus, and I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it helps me to think about uh, the way that uh, God in his fullness is available to me, accessible to me, listens to me, reaches out to me. Another mentor, John Stott, from that same time frame, uh, 40 years back, uh, again at Regent College in Vancouver, uh, has a prayer that he prayed every morning of his life. I don't have it with me, but the prayer is a Trinitarian prayer. Good morning, Holy Spirit. First thing he would say, good morning, uh, good morning, uh, loving Father, Abba Father. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for the life you've given me. Uh, thank, uh, greetings, good morning, uh, Son of God, Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me, dying for my sins, coming to live our life and show us the path of life. Thank you for going to the cross, to the grave. Thank you that you were raised from the dead and are alive forevermore and are interceding even right now at the right hand of God for me. Again, good morning, Holy Spirit. Fill me this morning with your Holy, Holy Spirit. Fill me with your fruit. Cultivate that in a new and a deeper way within me, your love and joy and peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So it says good enough Trinitarian prayer to start his morning. Not a bad idea at all for us to do. So John now turns from them to him, to him who loves us. Three verbs about what God does for us. We turn from us to him, but we, when we turn to him, we learn our relationship in relation to him. Now to him, he says, who loves us. God loves you. God is not unaware of your circumstances. God loves you so much that Paul tells us that before the creation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, God loved you and chose you to be his beloved son or daughter. To him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood. And number three, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. At home, say amen. Come on, encourage me. It'll help, and it'll help your spirit too. Say, yes, I believe this. This is accurate. This is true. This is relevant, even today in my life. Then he goes into a further doxology, which is taken from two passages of Scripture. Verse 7, look, pay attention, open your eyes. He is coming with the clouds. Jesus might say, as we pray that Lord's Prayer, our Father in the heavens. Uh, Dallas would paraphrase that, right? Uh, our Father who is closer than the air that we breathe. And he goes on to another passage, and every eye will see him, 
and even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. A passage from Zechariah 12. So shall it be. Amen. Then the Lord, in a sense, almost interrupts John's blessing and his prayer and his uh, uh, benediction, his doxology. The Lord speaks now, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the beginning. Life starts with me and life concludes with me. I, I am the one who is, I'm the one who was, I'm the one who is to come. I am the Almighty God. Then John picks up formally the kind of the content of the letter in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ, I was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to those seven churches he referenced earlier in verse 4. Send it to Ephesus, my old hometown, John could say, right? Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lamp. We had sevenfold spirit earlier, right? Now, the seven golden lampstands. What, are, what do those represent? And among the lampstands was someone like a, a, a human being, like a son of man. A reference, if you can look, want to look up Daniel 7, 13. He was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a, a golden sash across his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. He sees what you're going through. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. May it be because he is himself our living water. And so in his voice there is refreshment. There's cleansing. There's new life. His voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face, ah, his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And so we have kind of one of the early representations in uh, Revelation, a, a bit of a clue as to how to understand it which is to understand that it's literally portraying reality, but it's doing so with metaphorical language. It's using figurative language to help us understand some important things about who Jesus is. But we can't kind of press the points in a, in a literal or a physical way always when we read the book of Revelation because it's kind of written to us uh, one scholar that I studied with once said the book of Revelation is like, is like uh, we have to kind of read it as if it's sort of like reading a political cartoon. Things are exaggerated. Things are kind of typified. 
and this has been true for hundreds and hundreds of years. You can go back to the, the time of Abraham Lincoln and political cartoons that exaggerate his height or his homeliness or his beard or his features. Uh, but there is a, a, a point to it, often a twist to it, that is given to us in very, very vivid language. The point is, I saw him in all his beauty, his face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now, I don't have a face like that, but I know something about faces that shine. Because uh, in not that many weeks, uh, God willing, uh, our daughter Shelby and her husband Ryan are coming home. And particularly, although we're looking forward to them very much, particularly little Luca, who's going to turn two years old in next, uh, next month in September. We've been blessed to be there for all of his birthdays, his literal birthday, his physical birth. We are able to be in Okinawa with uh, Shelby and Ryan a week before that he was born, and then that week that he was born and just came into the world, and then a week after that. And then they came home last September for his first birthday, and now we'll have him here, God willing, soon for his second birthday. And Luca does a fun thing. Uh, I heard uh, Stephanie and Sherry talking on FaceTime to, uh, to Shelby and to Luca uh, yesterday. And I came in the room right when they were getting ready to hang up. I was working on my message. And I came in and just uh, got in front of the phone. And Shelby says, Luca, who is it? And he gets his big grin and says, Papa. He knows who I am. He knows my face. So I reference not the brilliance of my face, but I reference the beauty of his face and how important it is for us as people to be able to see each other face to face and how much we long to see Jesus face to face. And John is there in isolation, in a time of loneliness, but he sees the beautiful face of Jesus. Uh, which he says in verse 17 as we continue, so when I saw him... How did he respond? I fell at his feet as though dead. Often in the pages of Scripture when there's a, an appearance of God, people fall on their face as though dead. Isaiah 6 uh, comes to mind and, and many other places. Even a representative of God, an angel, one of his messengers, people will fall uh, on their face before them. And then a wonderful thing happened. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I believe it's close to a hundred times in Scripture that God says to us, do not be afraid. He wants to take from us our fear. I am the first and the last. This was said earlier about God, the Alpha and the Omega. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. What does that mean? Well, I was dead. And now, look. Behold, Open your eyes. I'm alive forever and ever. And because of that, I hold the keys of death and Hades. The worst that life can throw at you, Jesus has the keys that can open that door for us. So write, a second time he's commanded, write what you have seen. Write what is now and what will take place later. And the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, and of those seven golden candlesticks is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches themselves. What can we learn from this 
rather graphic, unusual, but so compelling, so striking uh, of this imagery? Well, we learn to just kind of slow down for a minute and, and reflect on the reality of what John was going through, which is in some ways similar or analogous to what we're going through. He is in exile. So write down number one, that one of the challenges of exile is isolation. Would you agree? One of the challenges of, of, uh, of exile is isolation. And uh, then the, the, the loneliness that can come because of isolation. You know, we can't go to places that we're familiar. We can't, if we have a store we like to visit, we can't necessarily visit. If there's a restaurant that, whose food we enjoy, we, we can't go to that restaurant. We might go if they have outdoor seating. We might be able to take out food, but we're not able to go. Exile is a place of, of often inadequate resources. We can't even go to see our uh, person who's going to, our barber or our hairdresser or whoever it might be to take kind of care for us. Uh, I'm going back into, you know, this is like the second mullet I think I've had unintentionally, but that's just the way things work without uh, being able to go to the barber. Opened up briefly, it snuck in just in time, and then they closed it back up right when I was ready for my, for my next visit. I want to show you a little bit about what Patmos looks like. He, he was uh, living in e e Ephesus in Turkey, then off the, well off the coast of, of, uh, of uh, Turkey is this uh, series of islands, and one of them is called Patmos. Doesn't this look like a beautiful and inviting place to visit? It's rocky, it's craggy, it's really unappealing. Now, it's an island, so you got some water, so that's good. But just look at the, just look at the topography, look at the land, look at the dryness, right? Uh, you know, the, uh, again, a, a, a lovely beach to swim in, but very arid. It's like a little bit of uh, Arizona. Uh, you know, again, water is there, and yet lots and lots of rocks. Craggy rocks, pointy rocks, sticky rocks. Where are you sitting in this environment? Rocks on rocks on rocks. Again, you've got water there, and so that always helps, but that land... Not a whole lot of greenery, not a whole lot of growth that's in this area, is there? And then we come to these uh, next two pictures, and this is uh, the cave that tradition has it. The Apostle John was in when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and God spoke to him, and he saw these visions of who Jesus is. That little area with that little kind of a cloth is an altar that was used, probably you see that kind of a, just, it's carved, literally carved out of the rocks. You feel like you're almost like ducking down as you look at this physical structure. But there's a place where the, the uh, person who was taking John's dictation could kind of lean on and write as John possibly dictated the words of the Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's rocky it's lonely, and the worst place, worst thing about exile isn't the, the physical dryness, it's the relational dryness. It's being alone, it's being away from the people that you know and that you love. You remember John at the cross, he was the, the only disciple who went with the women and was there at the foot of the cross with Jesus in his time of need. And Jesus looked down and said, John, this is now your mother, pointing to his own mother, Mary the mother of Jesus. Mom, 
this is now your son. And the legend is, the tradition is that John then took Mary into his home and she lived with him in Exodus. Well, now he's been sent from Exodus, from relationship, from community into exile. Isolation, that's the hardest part about this time, I think, for you and I as well, isn't it? Number two, and yet, I love this, and yet, God can also meet us in our exile. God can meet you right now. You may be watching in isolation, seeing a, a visual representation of me, but not in the presence of any other person. But you are in the presence of another person. You're in the presence of the Father who created you. And the Son who died for you and was raised to new life and is praying for you right now. And the Holy Spirit who gives you strength and who transforms you and me from the inside out. Amen. We're not alone. Number three. And this is a, a, maybe a new and a fresh way to think about this season, this coronavirus crisis, this season of stay at home or safer at home or quarantine, however we want to term it. I love this reality. Number three is that exile can provide an exceptional opportunity for growth. I need to say that again because it's so counter to how often we look at crises struggles, difficulties. Exile can provide an exceptional opportunity for growth. We could say this another way. We could say that God can even grow us in our exile. But it's more even pointed to say this. Exile can provide a, an exceptional opportunity for growth. Why is that? Well, what else is there to do on those that harsh climate in, on those barren rocks. It's a chance for John to grow. Now John is, uh, tradition has it, uh, quite old by the point of time that he receives this vision, this revelation of Jesus and then writes it down and share it to share with us. But it, look within this first chapter at five different means of growth that John has access to even in exile. The first is worship and contemplation. Worship and contemplation. We see that in verses 1 and 2, starting in, in the middle of verse 5. Uh, to him who loves us, freed us from our sins by his blood, made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Look, he's coming with clouds, etc. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He hears God himself who is and who was and who is to come. And in verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. There's no better place to be on the Lord's day. There's no better place to be in the presence of the Spirit of the living God. And I believe that you are. I believe that you are right now. And you've taken the time. And this is going to help you to grow even during a season of exile or of quarantine, you can grow, and this is an opportunity to grow. Why? You just take the opportunity to come into the presence of the living God. I hope you are here every week to be part of our live streaming. You can get to it through our BethanyOnline.net uh, webpage and links there. You can get to it on 
FaceTime Live, on YouTube Live. I hope every week you're gathering with your community to be in the presence of the Spirit of God. I hope you're gathering in your small group or your B group. I hope you're gathering, if you're junior high, high school, college, I hope you're gathering young adults, uh, young Marys. I hope you're gathering with strong family focus. I know you're gathering. I heard you this morning uh, on the Zoom call. Uh, if you're a children's ministry, you get a chance to gather and have a video to, to learn more about God's word and have some fun together and to pray together. Worship. Jesus is revealed in Revelation 1 to John, and he writes it down so he can share it then with you and I. Are you taking advantage of this opportunity to worship? You said, opportunity to worship. Yeah, it's an opportunity to do something. Why not worship? Don't spend all of your time getting preoccupied with politicians, with media mavens, with social media. Spend some time instead looking into the face of Jesus, the beautiful, kind, merciful, loving presence of Jesus, face of Jesus. It's a chance for you to grow through worship and contemplation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that when we gaze into the face of Jesus, we are changed. We go through a process of metamorphosis transformed from who we have been into who God is calling us to be. Are you engaged in worship on a regular basis right now during this crisis? Secondly, study and reflection. Study and reflection. We're called, verse 3, to read God's word, to hear God's word, and then here's the reflection, to take to heart what is written in it. And John practices what he preaches. He, he has read the word of God, he hears the word of God, and he takes to heart what is written in it. Isn't it interesting that throughout this passage we've referenced uh, sections of the Hebrew scriptures. We've referenced Isaiah, the sevenfold spirit. We've referenced he is coming with the clouds, Daniel 7. We've referenced Zechariah 12, all people on earth will mourn because of him. I'm not surprised he quotes Isaiah and Daniel, and Zechariah, because he's looking to his scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, from people writing either out of or writing into people, to people who are in exile. And he is going back and studying. He is saying, what, what does God's word have to say to us when we're in exile? We're here, this is a new thing. None of us have been in this moment before, not quite like this. We've had other devastations in our nation. We've had the depression. We've had, had the Spanish flu epidemic. Maybe that was the closest, but that was before any of us can remember. We, we've had World War I. We've had World War II. We've had other uh, tremors and horrific events that have shaked us, shaken us and shattered us. But we've never had four and a half months of isolation like this. Months where our businesses have closed down. We've been able, unable for some time to, to be around our family even for our own physical well-being. We've been able, unable to physically gather as the church 
family. Study and reflection of God's word. Read it. Hear it. Take it to heart. The third area of growth, habit of growth, is listening. Look at how John practices listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, as Samuel said to God. Verses 10 and 11, he says, look, look. I heard a voice. I turned around to see the voice speaking to me. I saw him. I fell at his feet. He is listening. His ears are wide open. His eyes are scanning the horizon, scanning the room. Maybe you should do that right now, wherever you are, what room you're in. God is there. We sang a song when I was uh, high school age. A song came out by Jimmy and Carol Owens. He is here, he is here. He is moving among us. He is here, he is here. As we gather in his name. He is here, he is here. And he wants to work among us. He is here as we gather in his name. He is right there with you. Are your ears open? Revelation seven times the phrase is used to each of these seven churches. To any of you who have ears to hear, just maybe check. Yes, check. Listen. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to God's people. That tells us that you can have physical ears, but not using your spiritual gift of listening. John is wired for sound. He's paying attention. He's looking for the presence of God, listening for the voice of God, seeking the heart of God. And he gets what he's listening for. Number four, community and connection. You say community and connection. You say, no, you just told us he's in exile. You showed us the pictures of Patmos. By the way, Patmos is somewhat populated now. Those are contemporaneous pictures, but they're for, from certain parts of uh, of that island. There are areas that are more populated. There's a massive kind of temple built at, at the place uh, to recognize where John heard the voice of God and then uh, wrote this life-transforming book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. But he's really isolated at that time. This is not someplace that's close to home. It's not easy to get to. It's, it's miles and miles and miles from the coast. It's a long way from other islands. He's alone. So how on earth can I say that during a crisis you can experience community and connection? Think about this. Verse 4. John starts a letter to his friends back home. His friends he hasn't been able to see in person. It's John. I'm writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And I send you grace and peace. From our Abba Father, from Jesus the anointed King, from the Holy, Holy Spirit. He connects, he reaches out, experiences communion, engages in connection. In verse 9, he, he starts the formal letter, I, John, your brother and companion. We've been there together in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours because we live in Christ, in Jesus. Did you catch that? He says, you and I have a vital connection, even though we're not 
physically proximate right now. We have a vital connection. I am reaching out to you because we have shared something precious. We've shared life in the kingdom of God where God is large and in charge. He was, he is, and he is to come. And we worship him and we've done that together. But also, ours in, Christ, in Jesus are the suffering. We share this suffering we're together in this suffering. How, what can you do right now to reach out to another brother or sister in Christ and share the suffering that you are going through and that they are going through? That's part of the, the motivation be, be, be behind having 40 days of prayer. So we've got to learn, in what ways are you suffering right now? And then the third is the patient endurance. H how is God enabling you to hang in there right now while your world's being turned upside down and you're being cut off from emotional, relational, spiritual connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ, John says, even in that era, before the internet, before the telephone, he says, I'm going to establish a connection with you even at a distance. Who is it that you can write a letter to? Letter, we used to write letters, we used to have a post office, USPS, that would deliver them in relative speed. But today, all the means of communication are so multiplied. Think of someone right now that you can reach out to who has been your brother or sister in Christ, who has been your companion in suffering, in patient endurance, and in looking around and seeing the kingdom of God at work, even in your circumstances, these gifts that are ours in Christ. Community and connection. Fifth, finally, service and ministry. Service and ministry. John is told, listen, I'm going to show you some things that are going to change your life, change your world. Write down what you saw. Write and send to the churches. Write what you've seen, verses 19 and following. Write what you've seen, what is now, what will take place later. You see, what God has blessed you with during this season, what God has blessed you with, can also encourage somebody else. Write that down. What God has blessed you with during this season can also encourage someone else. Oh God, we thank you for John, who in isolation, in exile, in solitary confinement, a long way from home, served his brothers and sisters in Christ served us almost 2,000 years later by writing words of encouragement and hope and pointing us to Jesus. Fourth point, final point, our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Number four, God can even transform us. God can even transform us in the middle of exile. How do we see this from the passage? Look at verse 17 real quickly. John says, now uh, I heard his voice as he revealed himself to me and I fell at his feet. I fell at his feet as though dead. I was gobsmacked. I was just crushed, wiped out when I saw the living and the holy God. And then something else happened. 
he falls on his face, probably crying out with Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord. I am not worthy. I am unworthy. Woe is me for I am a man of filthy lips and I live in a culture, in a community, in a world of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the king. What could happen to me? I don't deserve this privilege. And in Isaiah 6, something beautiful happens. An angel takes a fire from the altar and touches his lips, cleansing him from sin at the point where he struggles. When John here sees Jesus, falls at his feet, I love what happens. He placed his hand on me. He saw his face, but then, and he heard his voice, and then he felt his touch. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, I ask you right now to put your hand on my brothers and sisters in Christ and allow them to know that not only do you see what's going on and hear their cries for help, you are reaching out to bring the comfort of your presence, to bring the healing that is in your hands, to bring that empowering touch of encouragement and mercy and hope. Living God, I ask you right now, touch your sons and daughters. Bless your sons and daughters. The seven lampstands, he writes as he continues the last verse. Seven stars. The seven lampstands, what do those mean? In this case, he explains to us that, that metaphor, that vision. He said, well, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. Now, my dad preached on Revelation quite a few times when I was growing up, and he used to always say, the messengers of the church is probably the pastors of the church. It could be, and I would really like that to be true, that we're in the hand of Jesus and Jesus at this point. But the messengers of God are more than just the pastor. The pastor is not the only one who, who shares the message of Jesus. You and I, every one of us, boys and girls, men and women, you and I can share what God has shown us and how God has touched us and how great God is in the middle of our crisis. So I want to say today that I believe that the candlesticks may represent those who are pastors in a church, but I, I believe they also represent ordinary followers of Jesus, who Paul says, you shine like stars in a dark and a perverse and broken world. God has you in his hands and wants you to illumine as the light of the world people who are struggling and walking in great darkness. And then he says the seven lampstands, well, those are the seven churches. Well, one of those churches is a church, a place called Bethany, a place of new beginnings. God, would you use us to be a candlestick to bring light to a darkened world, hope, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. May they flow from the people of God to our broken world, our broken nation, our broken community, our broken neighborhoods. God be with you.